The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah. Hey everyone, this is another episode of the CDM podcast series. Today we have the legendary Tommy Stewart in the studio with us. Thanks for coming on and uh, do you want to quickly just tell people a little bit about yourself if they might not be familiar with your music? Oh, okay. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Um, Let's see, me going back. A little bit about my music. I'm most known, I think, in uh, in the older days as for being uh, the bassist of Hallow's Eve, which was on Metal Blade Records, did uh, three albums most people like that were uh, Tales of Terror, Death and Insanity, Monument. We actually did uh, six albums, basically. Um, I've been playing music my whole life since I was a little, little boy. And uh, here lately, fast forward a good bit, and um, I've put out albums with bands called... Um, Bloody Gyres, Negative Wall, and lately Tommy Stewart's Dire Wolf. I should I shouldn't say lately. This has really been going on for years, and um, and I also uh, have a studio called that I call Blue Ogre Noise Lab, and I've done a lot of uh, done some production and stuff in there. And uh, <clears throat> also I have a label <clears throat> that I'm very excited about called Black Doomba Records, and we're in our fifth year, and um, it it mainly concentrates on doom. Uh, albums up and vinyl releases mainly i do cd too but i'm more excited about the vinyl and that's pretty much and here we are today (laughs) yeah that's uh that's a lot to have under the belt um definitely i think different people will definitely know different things to be involved with like you said i think a lot of people wouldn't know you for hell's eve but i mean black domba has been doing really well these last few years i think a lot of people are very familiar with what you've been putting out oh cool yeah i you know, I'm excited about my own band as well, Tommy Stewart's Direwolf. But yes. it's almost like that's just something going on. <laughs> we run around and tour. And we kind of, I try to set up the, oh boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I, in Black Doomba Records, which seems to be getting um, a pretty good thumbs up from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost more excited about that than I am even making music. I have to stop doing it to make the music. So, uh, here and there but what's cool about it <clears throat> so i began to realize i've been around for in the music biz and and in general for about four decades and i began to realize that a lot i was you know helping people people were asking me actually contacting me and saying can i pick your brain about this can you give me any help can you put me in touch with so and so and i said you know i really do have a lot to offer people and i've done you know, a lot of music of my own, but I thought perhaps I can kind of pay it back. And I'm a fan of music too, a patron Mm -hmm. of sorts now, because I can help these bands using my experience. And I've gone through all these steps and plateaus of making my own mistakes, challenges, overcoming them, challenges, overcoming them. And finally, I'm like, I think there's a certain level of bandhood that I can, come in if i can step in i can take them from the level they're at to another to a better or their next level right so you like survive some then maybe they can fly from me to go to something major or whatever but i I think i'm sort of like uh i believe i can do a 
it's sort of like a minor league almost for me. Yeah, I, you know what I've heard people call labels like yours, um, tastemaker. It's like you're the person that you're the person that picks bands that are going to be big type thing, and you can see something in them and you put them together, and then a lot of the time, like you said, if they move on to something bigger and better, then that's what you want for them. So, yeah, I mean that's yeah. just one term I've heard thrown around, but it makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I kind of like that tastemaker. I'm not sure if my taste is everybody's, but. I decided to hone it down uh, to when I started the label. This is its fifth year. When I started the label, I decided to do a couple of things. One was to pick a niche, keep it in that genre. And everybody's like, well, don't you want to grow? And I go, kind of not. <laughs> I want to concentrate on one thing and be laser beam focused on that. Also, I'm only one person. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I mean, I have to write my own music, rehearse my own band, go on tour, I have to uh, get business for my studio and run a label, which means that I'm kind of like in eight other bands at any given time too. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm doing a lot of work for them. So as to not overburden myself, I only take about four bands a year. That's sort mm-hmm. of my target. I think that's very reasonable. Yeah. I, I think if, way, so uh, they can be in seasons there's sort of like three month seasons with them. They're going to need to uh, come in. There's going to be a, um, in a nutshell, there's going to be a single, a couple of weeks later, a video, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe six to eight weeks later. The, the uh, Well, the pre-orders start about the time of the video. And then uh, six to eight weeks later, the, the pre-order ends and the release happens. Overall, between the first press release because to the end of the, to their actual release is going to be about a three-month run, mm-hmm. about two to three months. In the meantime, the other bands are are working. So when I'm working with one band on their promo like that, there's other bands that are on their way, and they're in the studio at that time and gathering artwork and getting new photos made. And they're coming after this, you know, later. So I try to keep them where they're overlapping behind the scenes, but they're all in different stages. And that way I can handle the time it takes. If I took too many, I wouldn't be focused enough. I wouldn't, it'd be too much. It just wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good I mean, to know your limits. Yeah. I want to, I want to help them. Um, and I want them to help each other. This is a big thing for Black Duma too. I wanted to do this. I said, okay, we're just us. So, so when bands come on the label, I suit or before they come on the label, I kind of judge whether they'll be in this. I want to make sure they're on all their socials really not, you know, at least like three of them, but make sure that they're consistent about their, they need to be out there mm-hmm. on all their socials. They need to be playing if they, and I know people have day jobs and all, they need to be playing out of their hometown and, you know, at least regionally around their states that they live around. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I'm going to set them up to do, hopefully further than that, what I'm going to ask them to do is to network with each other within the label and That's even right. a little bit outside of the label and help each other get shows. And that's why you'll often see Black Duma bands out there playing on the same bills. Because I've really encouraged that that's important to help each other get shows, to share each other's posts, even if it's not your band. Mm-hmm. Not everyone. Yeah, label mates. But the main ones. Yeah, yeah. your label mates. Share each other's posts. Um, you know, it's a win for everybody. You know because who's uh, from your label? You share who's the other bands' posts, and people people begin engaging on your posts 
about that band too. You're all engaging with each other and with people that like those bands and you're, you're becoming, you're not just one thing getting two to 10% of whatever your Facebook is or whatever, you know, you're on, but you're, but now you're also bringing in the other band. So you're, you're multiplying it a lot. You're magnifying mm-hmm. your reach. But help yeah, I think, I think that people respect the opinions of bands that they like as well. So if that band says, Hey, check out this band, they're really cool. People will listen to them type thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that'd be like social justice. I don't know what you'd call it. Social justification or whatever. Yeah. It, it, I mean, like, yeah, sometimes be, like, I like this guy. And if he likes this, then maybe I will too. I'm going to check it out. Exactly. And sometimes people trust like bands more than they trust like review sites like us or something. You know what I mean? Because I think it comes across sometimes as more genuine when it comes from another artist. Uh, I don't right. know why, but that's how it comes across, I think. Because it's all opinion-based. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, know, you know who on your label has been really good at doing what you, you're talking about is um, Richie Randall. Uh, oh. he's, been, he's fantastic on social media. He shares everything, offers support, interacts with people. He's awesome. Yeah. He's amazing. Richie is someone that... Um, I as a matter of fact, I kind of watch him pretty much on a daily basis in order to remind myself what I should be doing. Yeah, because he's that freaking amazing at letting people know what his band is doing. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, he actually came on our podcast uh, when we were first starting out. We were pretty small. He was one of the first bands we interviewed. Was Grave mm-hmm. actually? Yeah, they were just putting out uh, the Necro Occlusion. Yes. Necro Occlusion did did very well, mm-hmm. and uh, for us, it's 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 probably done the. I w- it's in the top. It's in the top. If I had to look at certain aspects of it, but it's definitely a good one. I've got more news about that one later, but not today. But it's gonna. It's really doing well. Good. It was awesome. well received. It was well. I think it was a pretty album. <laughs> what can I call it? You you've seen it, right? Yeah. 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 The artwork they turned in when they turned when I saw the artwork initially, and I was like, "Oh my god, this thing is just made to have a splatter." Mm-hmm. The artwork is a splatter. The, the cover art is a splatter. Yeah, so the vinyl is beautiful. Yeah, so you take the yeah. vinyl out. I said, "We've got to use exactly the colors that are in this the, as close as we can, and we have to make like a three color splatter of it. Definitely 180 grams for the first go around." And it it was the probably the prettiest album as far as like you pulling the vinyl out looking at the whole thing probably the prettiest one i've had i keep saying pretty i can't think of a better word but it's <laughs> it is though it's it is. no it's nice it's nice to look at it's very cool yeah i mean you've had some crazy cool album art come through your label lately what was the um there was one what was it day glow morning that album art is stunning oh i know and the okay the artist there is uh, for Dayglow Morning, Dead Star. Uh, the artist there is Mont Doom. Yes, he's fantastic. From uh, He's from Italy. And uh, I can't think of, uh, he's done a Mono Lord album and a couple of other. I don't think he, the world's oversaturated with his art was one cool thing about him. But he's Definitely. done enough to know who he is. And I was so blown away by the Dayglow album that that's who I got to do my Doomsday Deferred album. That's cool. Admired. Oh, he did that as well. I had no idea. Right, and no, and, and I know it's not one of his usual like uh, landscapes or whatever. It's more of a. I kind of liked it because it was um, 
kind of thin and up and down rather than this big blow up page. And I thought, Oh, that's going to be such a good t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an awesome design. I didn't even recognize his style. Cause it's, it's kind of different to his usual it's a little stuff. Different but... for him. Yeah. I didn't want to just, cool. you know, copy the Dayglow album. Sure. And, uh, have that same kind of uh space landscape. Cause it wasn't really what I do as far as that band goes. Yeah. One of our, right. That probably wouldn't fit us, but. One of our writers actually liked that Dago album so much that he interviewed the dude from Mont Doom uh, a little oh, while yeah. back. Yeah, he uh, he loves his work. Big fan. But you have who who did the artwork for like um, Grave Next Door? That single, as heavy as Texas. That one is awesome oh, as well. I know. Um, the same guy did their. I'm um, crap. I'd have to look it up. You'll have to ask them. <laughs> okay. Like that one too. I was a little hesitant at first because it didn't really have that it didn't really have that i had to really think about it it didn't have that same sort of a psychedelic uh you know thing that a lot of the album covers have that i'm usually approving on the label Mm -hmm. but when you think about their music the grave next door music is very uh put together live raw Mm -hmm. um very upfront in your face. There's nothing atmospheric about it, really. It's just mm-hmm. right there. It's riffy. It's, you know, right there. And I said, you know, this album cover really kind of gets to the point is the good thing about it. There's nothing spacey or atmospheric. It's just, here's a scene. And I mean, it kind of matches their music. But here's what really I liked about them is they're, everything's purple. I kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of cool. Their album cover's purple. They even had a, I I don't know if you saw it, but for uh, all the touring last year, they even had a, they'd show up and their van was freaking purple. I did not <laughs> see that. That's awesome. They called it the Grape Eight. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, they even had a purple tour van to match their purple color thing. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so what about the album? Because I know, I'm just looking through your, your band camp, obviously, but... Um, was it the same artist that did the album art for uh, Cult of Sorrow that did the um, Bloody Jaya's ones for um, the remix album? Oh, for the uh, Rope Enough for Two that had Dayglow. Yeah. It was a split. It had Dayglow Morning on one side mm-hmm. with three songs, and it had our one 18-minute song we couldn't fit on our album for the other side. Okay. So that was all one long song. Yes, it's the same artist. Yeah, it's got a cool style, too. Uh, I'm going to try to pronounce it as Vaclav Chair. I'm okay. probably not saying the last name correctly. But Vaclav has been around for a while, and and um, he's he's so prolific. He, he, is so, he just puts stuff out almost daily. Here, here's this, here's this, here's this. Available for licensing. Here you go. <laughs> just so many things. He's also done something really cool lately. I don't know if you saw that last year. He put together a... a a card, I think a combination card and board game, or maybe just a card game. Really? We did individual artwork for each card. Wow. That's amazing. And no, I did not hear that. That's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, I mean, can you imagine the amount of work that went into making an album cover quality piece of art for each card? Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. he's a, Yeah, if anybody wants to go to his site, he's usually called... Uh, he calls himself Droned Artworks. Okay. Or I think Vaklov. Nice. I'm not sure if he uses a W or a V on that. I think his real name is a is a V, but I don't know. Either way, 
Fuck Club. He's pretty cool. We'll find yeah, it. He did. Yes, he did the Cult of Sorrow. Oh, the cool cult. There's a story on the Cult of Sorrow artwork. Okay. What they turned in. First off, I just love that band. And in 2019, at the end of the year, that was the most played album in my Spotify list. So <laughs> that I had really listened to it a lot to outdo nice. my Spotify list. I was like, holy crap, I really did listen to this. So anyway, um, but what was cool is they turned in um they turned in the these photos that were kind of uh reminiscent of 70s hammer film scenes. And there was this sort of a hooded thing with a in the woods with a uh, the main photo for the cover, and uh, okay. a hooded thing with a like a goat skull thing. It reminded me of a sort of the blood on the Satan's claw thing or whatever. And then it had these three uh, nude ladies kneeling and doing something around the fire in front of them, doing some kind of a ritual or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they're little honeys. They're little cracks and honeys and things are showing, and they're unmentionable parts where some of them were vaguely showing. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to be able to make a Facebook ad with this stuff or anything. Yeah. I, I got to be able to sell it. I said, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that censors anything for the artist, but I do have to be able to advertise it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and also the people, the people I work with um, that promote, uh, things for Black Doom, but the team that promotes some of them, um, they have to be able to promote it too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is visual. So what I did is I, I, I asked them, if, I, so I got, I got Vaklov to make a, um, to make an album art based on the photograph. And we did a gatefold, which was a little costly. But uh, so now when you see the album cover, you see the what was in the photo on the front uh, minus the we actually had to do two rounds of it because he still hadn't got rid of the cracks. <laughs> oh, no, I, said, I, I told him to think of Ken and Barbie. <laughs> Barbie. Right, right, right. It's the, the shape is there, but nothing else. <laughs> and uh, So anyway, he finally made it where it was USA passably. <laughs> It'd probably been fine in Europe, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, he, he made an art which was still fantastic. It's just missing butt cracks, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, my, I think. And so, anyway, so when you open the gatefold, there's the original photo just on the inside on the left. Oh, okay, that's so it's cool. Still there. I don't feel like I really actually had to censor anything that way. The artist, the, what they, their vision is still there. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, it got elaborated on, and uh, in my opinion, probably even better than it was. That's awesome. Um, So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about some of your projects. Maybe we should start from some of the more recent ones and go backwards. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about Doomsday Deferred, uh, the latest album from your Direwolf project? Well, during the... uh, that came about, I'd really started it a, a little bit earlier, but I kept being sidetracked doing other people's projects. Mm. And uh, so the first song was actually recorded in 2018. Actually, so, 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 but then fast forward to the pan- pandemic. When the, yeah. 
almost said it in a really funky accent. Pandemic. Uh, <laughs> just put some oregano on that pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably how somebody says it somewhere. <laughs> Idiot. Asparagus. 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 Anyway, I'm getting curious. <laughs> Having fun. The... <laughs> <laughs> So the, the so uh, so the pandemic brought up. Guess what? Nobody wants to come to the studio. No. I'm actually advising the bands to hang on and don't. I said I wouldn't release anything right now. I said this, but I said there's a there's a good side to this, a real good side. I said this is a good time, and I was kind of talking to myself, but I told all the bands this. I said, let's just hang on. Go get your go have new photo sessions get your next artwork together that always takes time and the artists aren't necessarily in a hurry and uh, go record even if it well we don't really need any right now do it anyway just record for the future record 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 you've got time now let's this thing isn't gonna i told them even back then i said this is gonna blow over somewhat inside of six months to a year you watch it see just right now take a little time off let's see what happens but in the meantime this is all kinds of time for you to do other things. As far as staying in touch with your audience, you'll just have to learn some, it's a challenge, but let's learn some new ways to do that. And people mm -hmm. did, as you saw, they started doing um, live uh, uh, Facebooks. They started Until they stopped that. More YouTube uh, live videos and chats, podcasts. There was all kinds of ways to reach out to people. We happen to live in a golden age of being able to reach out to people. Yeah. So sure. we just had to make adjustments. It wasn't adaptions nothing really stopped you just the ones who stopped are just people who weren't thinking outside of the box yeah but yeah you don't release anything right now just let's see what happens so uh i did have one band release something right in june of 2020 and it just kind of didn't do nothing and i was like y'all i'm sorry this i just kind of thought this would happen they were very insistent about wanting it out I'm like, okay I'm not going to say the band's name, but I, I feel I felt for him because I, I anyway, they'll they'll come back up with another one or they'll reprint that one or something. They're they're off on their own now. So. So during that time, I, I did Doomsday Deferred. So uh, it was hard getting my own drummer who I talk about all the time lovingly. His name is Dennis Reed. Mm -hmm. He's been on several albums with me done a lot of playing live with me i couldn't even tell you how many shows i think that in direwolf i think we just did our 54th show i was wow. looking on list fm and i had a couple of shows and i saw that i counted it was like 50 something shows and i was like oh that's pretty cool so but he's been with me for a while but i could only get him because of the pandemic situation and everything i could only get him for three songs on the whole album mm-hmm so I said, I wanted to present it as a group, but I can't really feel like it's a group effort if there's five drummers on the album. It's a two-piece band. I don't feel like that's a group. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to present this as Tommy Stewart's Wolf. I'm Tommy Stewart. Here's all my guest drummers. And that's kind of how... They were actually four drummers. When I say five, one of them was me. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I ended up doing... Um, I finished two drummers' drum tracks that they couldn't come back to and then i there's one track uh indiscriminate trepidation that's me on a set oh awesome nice so it, it was awesome because i've never done that before i was out of 
as if everything in my career hasn't been this way. <clears throat> if I don't have anybody to produce, then I just learn how to produce. If I don't have anybody to play guitar, I just learn to play guitar. If I don't have anybody <laughs> to play saxophone, I just play and, you know, and I didn't have anybody to play drums. So I said, okay, then I'm going to learn how to play drums. <laughs> I sat down and learned how to play drums. That's sweet. That's awesome. It's just mechanics. I know what music is. It, you know, whether you play, I mean, think about it, like, especially like, say, guitar to bass. There's a different feeling. depends on the style of music. But really, it's just a matter of mechanics, like a seven-string guitar or a five-string guitar or a four-string bass or a, who cares, three-string bass. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of mechanics and tuning. It's still music. It all works. Yeah. Yeah. A key I mean, is, I, the theme is here, you know? I just have to say that I absolutely loved the album, by the way. I mean, it was in my top 20 list from last year. Oh, thank um, you so much. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Oh, it's, I, you I, should, I really feel very proud. Yeah, it's great. Amazing. I really amazing appreciate album. that. It's, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, Yeah, I'm just really appreciative that anybody would take the time to actually listen to it. And then that they would like it is even, uh, I'm very grateful of that. Oh, I think it was one of the most unique sounding albums in the style, I mean, in the genre for the year, for sure. I, I don't know quite what you did with the production, but I absolutely love how it turned out. I love, I love the way it sounded. It was very different to everything else. Yeah. Psychedelic. It was heavy. It was it was mantric. It was a lot of neat stuff, man. It was great. It had like a kind of I don't know how to describe it, like a muffled atmosphere that kind of made it sound like you were hearing it from another room, which is what I love. Which is what I used to love about Saint Vitus, like the early Saint Vitus albums, which is the same sort of vibe I got from this one. Mm. That has actually been a, a a couple of criticisms about the album was um, that it sounds too. Um, like, it sounds like somebody recorded in a giant warehouse. And I'm like, well, on the first album, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> that, that's what makes it special. That's what I, I love. Yeah, that good call. Like that. Well, yeah. I don't want it to be... With, with the old days, We, um, I think I've done enough things where I did them where enough people... It was done sort of with the idea in mind that I hope that people are going to like this. And we engineered it. We like it. We like everything that's there, but we also made it where other people will all like it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the Hallow's Eve days. Right. But now that I've been around for four decades and just from that, you can, I mean, <laughs> when they talk about like, when they say, name your first show you ever went to, I'm like, where mine were like Jerry Lee Lewis and the grassroots and stuff. I've been there around. I've been alive a long time. I was born in the fifties. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> So my thinking at this point, when you get up there and you're, you're towards, you know, I'm not 60s. So <clears throat> right now I'm more interested as an artist in truly expressing myself and how I truly feel. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always saying that to me, real art is when uh, in music is when um, I feel something and I play it or present it, then you hear it. And then you feel something. Mm -hmm. So this is communication that goes Connection. words. That's that's music to me. Mm -hmm. So um, if I, you want to, if I want to express myself to you, then I want to express myself, not just what seems to be cool to say today by looking at what the world's doing. 
I don't really care what the rest of the world's thinking. <laughs> so anyway, um, so so during Doomsday Defer, to get back to that, during that year, you know, we were all in lockdown and we all stayed. Everybody said, oh, no, we'll have to stay at home, work from home. And I'm like, that's what I already do. It's not going to be new to me. <laughs> <laughs> I work at the label in my home. When I take a break, I walk outside and do some gardening for an hour and come back in. <laughs> I'm at work. When I wake up at six in the morning and come in here with coffee, I am at work in a t-shirt and socks. So anyway, <laughs> so um, so during Doomsday Deferred, so the meanings of the songs in there were very reflective and had a lot to do with, um, there was a lot of personal <clears throat> lyric content on there. Uh, one of the songs was about a family member of mine who was calling me in the middle of the night and having some very severe depression problems. And that song turned into being some of the lines and not pray to yourself. Indiscriminate uh, trepidation was, I wrote that exactly when um, our capital here in Atlanta, Georgia was being stormed and there were tanks in the streets, cars on fire. And it was just people trying to scare people randomly about anything and everything. It just seemed like everybody was, like every issue was up for grab and everybody's just, stomping around being nonsensically mad about everything and I, that's kind of what i wrote about indiscriminate trepidation indiscriminate, right. randomly scaring people yeah like it, it doesn't even matter what you're talking about then there was another one called rolling my own what i wrote that about is i got so sick of hearing everybody's all these people some i knew well some i don't but it's just in general especially on social media of people just randomly nonsensically talking about politics left and right and it's like you don't know what you're talking about just yeah shut, shut the hell up would you you sound like an idiot <laughs> i mean I, I was like it, it'd be different if you were guys were all like political scientists or something but you're just a bunch of dumbasses <laughs> let everybody yeah. know it and i'm like just I, shut up so finally <laughs> i just kind of this is when I kind of closed myself off and permitted up to to write. And the song Rolling My Own is that's exactly I'm rolling my own here. I, I want to be clear here. I'm rolling my own. And it just means I'm sticking, I'm doing what I'm doing. Y'all do what y'all do, and y'all have fun with that, basically. Yeah, I think 2020 was it yeah, 2020 was like the year when every single person on earth suddenly got a political science degree out of nowhere. Yeah, no. I know. You have no idea how often I go on about this, like just at home. I just, I try not to even talk about it. I've gotten where I barely watch the news anymore. I turn it on and get the five minutes of the idea of what's going on in the world. And I go, yep, yep. Someone threw a baby in the lake. Yep, yep. Somebody shot somebody. Yep, yep. War, war, war. Bye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I actually unsubscribed from every news channel I followed that year because it was genuinely oh. starting to affect my mental health. I couldn't. Oh, absolutely. every time I got on Facebook, it was like toxic, 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 just all all day, every day. I couldn't handle it. That's anymore. what I mean. It's not that we don't care. We don't want to be informed, but I don't need yeah. to hear it every five seconds all day long. Yeah. Especially when a lot of it doesn't matter. That a lot of it's a lot of it. It all matters. The issues matter, but. Mm. 99% or, you know, whatever, a very high percentage of the of the people who are saying these things literally don't know what they're talking about. And I just yeah. don't want to hear it. I just don't want to hear it. It's negative. It's negative. Um, 
it's not productive for anybody. And yeah, it causes a lot of depression in the world for people. And it's counterproductive to whatever you really are. Exactly. You know, and then, you are, what you really do, like for instance, you know, my craft or whatever, it has nothing to do with all that. Right. And then what I do now is I just, every few days I'll go through the highlights and the headlines and be like, okay, so that's what's actually happening. That makes sense. Just to keep, you know, informed, but I don't need it constantly presented to me. No, it's, right. it's not necessary. And I do think about like, what, what is it that I could do about this thing? These kittens that just got thrown in the lake in a bag. And then I go, well, there's nothing I can do about that. There are bad things in the world. Well, I think I'll go write about a song about it. <laughs> That's right. what I thought because I've only been writing. I've been a musician since I was a little little boy before i was even in school my mom was teaching me piano and my first performance was at a kindergarten awesome. <laughs> really i was five years old <laughs> that's awesome. this wasn't anything great but but uh i did sit in front of an audience of about I don't, I don't know how many i don't really remember how many people were there but i did sit in an audience and it was a christmas eve thing and i got up and played piano and sang silent night I was <laughs> that's awesome so i was already doing it and I never really quit doing it in some fashion or form or another. I was always performing somehow through my whole life, even if it was just minor, you know, it, it still was there. So I don't really know how else to be or how to react. And I'm like, I hear, what would you be if you were a musician? And I'll go, I don't know, dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's like to not be one. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, and you have you ever, and you know how many people are like, you should, <laughs> you should stop and go into something else. And I'm like, it's like you've just asked a doctor to stop being a doctor and go into marketing or go into be a manager at Walmart or something. It's like, that's what he is. That's all he's gonna ever do. This mm -hmm. is what I do forever and always. I'm never gonna not be doing it. It's not a phase. <laughs> it's not. No, it's been well known. It's not a phase. <laughs> I think I, I still I still have people that think I'm going to grow out of it. I'm like, no, I don't think so. No, I remember people used to always say that when I was younger. It's like, oh, all this stuff you listen to is just a phase. You'll grow out of it. I'm like, uh, don't plan to. I, I want to be one of those dudes who's like in their 60s or 70s and still at gigs and stuff. Ideally, yeah, <laughs> that's that's He's, me. I still I still go to things I really. Although I've gotten kind of particular about it, and I, and I only go to things that I really want to go to. I don't. Nice. I don't really need to see so and so for the forty second time. Forty one was enough, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get it. You can noodle really fast on your guitar. I get it. Okay, um, but sometimes there's the social thing of you. You're going to see friends and you're going to hang out, and it kind of didn't matter mm -hmm. who's playing. But uh, let's see. The next show I've got tickets to go see is Wardruna. Ah, oh, I cannot wait to see them. I'm gonna. They're coming November, right? Mine's coming in October. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. definitely seeing, I'm I'm seeing gonna, them. I'm going to be booking here pretty soon. I'm going to start booking dates, uh, tour dates for my band for fall. And I'm definitely, I'm actually booking around it to where I will be in Atlanta for that date to see that's them. That's right. They're an, they're an incre incredible band. Long time. But that's the kind of thing you'll see me at is something probably a little unusual. You know, it won't be something that's, I don't need to see certain bands again. They're just—they're uh, a very—they're a very special band, though, in my opinion. Wadruna. It's like 
don't know. There's something about them that makes them like they're just special. I love that band. Yeah, they had to. I think what made me think of them is Doomsday Deferred. During the making of that, I knew that all of a sudden I had to. I wanted the sound of the production of the drums in there to be similar to what I was hearing in um, some of the uh, Norwegian folk mm-hmm. music that was intense. And Wardrin is just a great example of that. The, the drum sounds in there. And I was like, what are they? I started really counting the drums in those types of, um, it wasn't just them, but it, they were a big part of it. But I started counting the drums and going, now what exactly are they playing? And what are these beats? Oh, this is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've got an extra beat in there for why? What is this, 11, 19th time or something? And I started <laughs> thinking, this, this is really how I want this album to sound. I want all the drums to be tuned very low. I want to be full of toms. Mm-hmm. I want there to be some little bits of percussion coming and going that are so low in the mix that you honestly don't hear a lot of it till you've heard it several times. Right. That's what I do. That album, Doomsday Deferred, is peppered with stuff that if you listen to it on a different device the next time, you're going to hear stuff you didn't hear on this other thing. Yeah. I actually, I noticed that with like, uh, I think I was... Bandcamp originally, and then I listened to a lot of your stuff today on Title, and I was just like, "This just sounds sounds good," you know, like I just sounds a little bit better. There's something to it. Yeah, there's a uh, there's lots it's of Christmas things peppered in there, lots of stuff um, that I just had mixed way down in the background. Sometimes on the left or the right or whatever, voices, people saying things. You'd have to, you know, it'll come to you as you hear it over and over. Right. And Two Truck Yomp was an excellent single. I just have to say that was a catchy track. That's the only one where I actually recorded the bass live. All the oh, really? Through. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And that was, so that was recorded live, just like I do it live when, we, when I go play. It's the second mm-hmm. song in our set every night. And the same thing every night. So I'm using a looper there. I could have just done separate tracks, right? Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I begin to think it just sounds better if I'm slightly off and I'm just kind of loopy with it and just kind of um, on the spur of the moment with it. Right. Yeah. If I'd sat there and if I'd redone the, the lead in it several times, I'm sure it would have been all perfect and all that. But I don't really, it wouldn't have felt like I'm really meaning it if I'd done it all sterile i just so yeah. i just said i'm gonna i'm gonna actually set up this stuff i'm gonna mic everything and i'm and then i'm gonna actually play it just like i'm playing it live the drummer was in the room with me there's it's full of bleed over and lots of delays so you're hearing pieces of bass slapping after other pieces of bass and <laughs> because because i used two delays and two reverbs okay so there's a little bit of harmonizing with yourself there's one amp in there that's set up as a clean sound. So there's a, a low end clean thing going that has all the uh, mid range and the treble rolled off of it. And then there's the other parts are distorted and it comes, I have it coming out of two different switch boxes into four different amps, thus the different sounding bases. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not, and, and some of them have delays and some don't. So it sounds, none of it's, it, it's filling. That's one way to be two piece. To be, to arrange it to where there's uh, able to be a, a live filling of things, where you're not necessarily 
playing exactly what everybody's hearing. You're kind of playing before or after things and sometimes using a looper and you're harmonizing with yourself. So at any given point, people might be hearing two to four basses at the same time. Damn, that that explains it. Yeah, the psychedelic-y, like... Yeah, that explains a lot, actually. So all the so all the amps are set to different tones. One, you know, like one may be real a lot of high mid range. Another one's clean and only low and whatever like that. So it's great live when I get to set the whole thing up because there's three stacks and four amps, but I hardly ever get to do it. So I, I'm generally just, I'm generally just using a um, two by twelve combo amp for clubs where I got to get on off the stage in 15 minutes. It's a two by twelve combo Galen Kruger, and then out of the front direct to the PA, I'm going through an Ampeg simulator. Interesting. Wow. Okay. (laughs) It all makes a lot of sense. It's very, that's awesome to know. Yeah. And that way I can be very quick about on and off. Yeah. Which is, you know, in most places you're playing, that's very important. Just get the hell on, get the hell off. They're like, like, you know, let's go, let's go. People are back and stuff. So have you ever, had like a anything like malfunction and you had to like kind of like MacGyver your way through something. Oh yeah, all the time. I never know what's gonna happen. Like you're talking about two trod yomp. Okay, there's like two or three things that can happen and they're all looper things. If I hit the okay, my drummer and I actually practice messing up. So <laughs> so if you hit the okay, you're playing along, you're gonna lay down a little rhythm track for yourself. But um dumb, I've kept it simple. But um bump 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 bump. Okay, I go one layer of that, and there's eight beats of it. Then the next one, I do it. I change my tone on my bass, and then so the, it's a little higher. And the next eight layer on top of it, and I lay in a but um instead of just bump. So it's but um bump bump but um bump Now, if I hit any of that wrong, when I come out of it to start doing a lead, if I tap with my foot, not exactly when the quarter note ends then it ends up being a different timing because right. it's too much note or too less note. So now we're going and we get to play the entire lead section at that time, whatever it is. And, uh, and we both have to adjust to it while I'm doing my lead and while he's playing drums. So he suddenly like has to hit a snare and immediately be over here doing something else because <laughs> i'm missing like a quarter of a beat or something so we practice messing up so that we're able to kind of compensate for that another thing that happens it happens probably about every fourth show when i when i hit the leap to come back out of the to come back out of the lead sometimes it doesn't come back out because i didn't tap it firmly enough i might oh. not realize that the next thing i know i'm actually playing the rhythm part for the rest of the song while I'm singing and the the original rhythms are still going from the lead part. It ends up being like a massive amount of the sound man's going nuts back there. I, I've seen them throw papers in the air. One guy did. <laughs> he, threw paper, he threw his arms and like, went everywhere. And he was like, what the hell? I don't even know what he's doing. <laughs> no, I didn't know what was happening until when I stopped, when I and we stopped the, the song, but he kept going. I went, oh, I went over there and hit the thing. Kind of, you know, I mean, so there was like an extra eight beats after the song stops. 
<laughs> but I didn't know they were going to be there. It's like, anyway, so anyway, there's a little bit of fun involved in that one. I never know how that song's going to do. We, it's, it's different every day. That's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It's a lot of fun. Are you ever going to do a uh, West Coast tour in the near future? Because if you do, I'm definitely going to be there. I like that. Where are you at? I'm in uh, San Diego. San Diego. I like San Diego. Um, I have been there and played there in Hallow's Eve at a place that's probably long gone. Okay. Um, What was was it called? uh, Rio's. Rio's. I haven't heard of it, so probably. It was the last show we did in 1988 in uh, a two-month tour it was us and fate's warning okay and san diego was awesome. our last show of that particular eight weeks of touring i think it was eight or nine weeks and that was that was pretty cool so um and you know we all played we played the bands played jokes on each other that night of course <laughs> so um i think um oh i remember they ordered a p <laughs> It was Domino's back then. They ordered a pizza for us while we were on stage, and they had the Domino's guy go out on stage in the middle of our show and deliver it to the to our lead singer, <laughs> <laughs> without missing a beat because he was such a good front man. But the pizzas were hot with greasy cheese, of course. Yeah. Our singer, without missing a beat, saw the Domino's guy grab the pizzas out of his hands and slung them across the front of the audience. Oh no. <laughs> All of a sudden, we had these people with hot, greasy cheese on their faces, grasping their faces and going, ah! <laughs> oh, I've done anything to have that on. We, nobody had cameras back then. Nobody bought, oh, bought You know, nobody had that. So it was so funny. It was not funny. It was bad, but it was funny bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty like, funny. I melt people's faces with music, not... Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get that scar on your face, dude? Well, about 30 years ago, I was at a concert. <laughs> and a dude threw pizza in my face. <laughs> Hot, steaming cheese grease on my face. <laughs> what a great show. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and I paid for him to do that. <laughs> get in and get that. <laughs> I uh, While you're on that topic, I, I didn't want to push too much about Hello's Eve, because I know you've talked about it probably a hundred million times over the years, but any other stories that you want to tell from that era? Oh my God. They just kind of come to me in the middle of talking, but, uh, oh yeah, that was, <laughs> great, it was the eighties and it would, Motley Crue wasn't the only band living in a Motley Crue video. <laughs> we were every, it was, it was a time. All right. I can say that, um, it was it was really fun though being in that band and I really uh, enjoyed it and I'm still friends we're still all kind of friends but in a in an aloof distant way because we all went on to different to other things mm-hmm. yeah lives and I could tell you individually but it's kind of boring what they all went to and I just I think I'm the only one am I no there's a couple that stayed okay well like. Interestingly, uh, so Tom Knight, who toured with us during the Monument Tour, the 88 tours mm-hmm. from like April to October, he went, he was the drummer that he's only seen on the box set. And there's a drum solo in there. And I think he's in the video for The Chance. Okay. That might be the only place he's in the box set. Um, but he was with us during that summer. And uh, he went from Hallow's Eve to being the drummer for TLC. Really? 
go chasing waterfalls. Yep. No shit. Huh. So that was it. He was with TLC their entire career. Good. And he still does a lot of work with um, other people. And he's gotten into other things too. And he finally, he got into voiceovers. And from what I understand, if I'm not being incorrect, I know it was either one or two uh, Emmys. Is that what you get? Yeah, Emmys you get for voiceovers. Yeah, he got two, I think. For, uh, do you know what they were for? I don't know. I know he also, I know he does games. Really? Um, I don't know about which movies or TV shows, probably a whole lot of them. And they're just one after the other. It's sort of like being, um, you know, I don't know, but he got well noted for it. And he's also done tours with, as the drummer for some pretty major, um, different classic rock things that have gone around. But I know he's done a whole lot of the, uh, urban, uh, R and B and things like that. I know he's done a whole lot of work with that. But he was, how was he was actually the first band he toured in. And if you go look at his stuff, it's all these like, uh, you know, TLC and whatever, Sierra, Monique and whatever. And at the very bottom is Hallow's Eve, which doesn't fit the rest of it. But (laughs) (laughs) we were in the initiation. That's awesome. So he became, you know, pretty well known in that way. We had uh, James Murphy sat with us right after our lead singer, Stacy, quit. We'd always been looking for a second guitarist. We just had never gotten one. And um, we finally got one. Stacy quit, and then we finally got one. It was James Murphy who went on, who left us to go to death in later obituary, right. and he founded Discarnate. He was in Testament for a minute. Did an album huh. Testament, I believe. So anyway, but he never did anything with us because he stayed about four or five months, and Chuck called him, and he said, well, I guess these Hallow's Eve guys are never going to find a new singer, so yeah, I'll come on and do death. Wow. And uh, so Which that was show- Went on. Do you know which which album he joined them on? I don't know. Uh, it was so. What would be nineteen eighty nine? Eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, would probably maybe released in nineteen ninety. He left be, us in nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine would probably be spiritual healing because that came out in nineteen yes, ninety. Was spiritual healing? I believe it was that he was on it for that. So he went on, but I think, the, but the rest of them just kind of didn't. And um, for a brief while, we had uh, Doyle Bright from Rigor Mortis was in the band for uh, from 2007 to 2013. That's awesome. Underrated band. Rigor Mortis needs a lot more love than they get, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we both we used to talk about that all the time about it's like we're a, a group of people who wish they had gotten in there a little bit more than they did mm-hmm. so but anyway he did it but the rest of them i think were um went on to other lives and became real estate agents and <laughs> things like that but i stayed with the music that's awesome that's right yeah man glad you did because it's art like that is uh it's hard to come by you know and it's pretty it's important but not crazy music you had uh, Chris on Bloody Jaya's, right? Yes, Chris Abamani, who was he was in the last lineup of Hallow's Eve, also. Okay, okay, cool. And then he was, uh, and then he was Bloody Jars, and uh, Bloody Jar. The Bloody Jars album was really amazing. And then they had, um, and of course, we had that spillover one song that was eighteen minutes called "Behold Your World Now Burns." Mm-hmm. 
I think I ended up releasing like three different mixes of that album, of that of that song, because it never really got, seemed like it was just never quite what I meant for it to be. It was just, it seemed like it was so much more. And, um, but Bloody Gyrus was, uh, it was a bit experimental. And a lot of the songs were playing with times and sounds. And the album has, you know, all kinds of different stuff on it. It's, it's, it's a little proggy and maybe a little, in, maybe a little influenced by um, pieces of King Crimson and things like awesome. that. Awesome. Is there any, any plan for another album for that project or? No, we've all said, we have all talked and we've said we would do it again. But uh, my problem with it, I'm, I'm probably more of a holdout than anyone. My uh, problem with it is not that I want to go play and everybody in that band is not able to necessarily go out and play like I do. Okay. So I want to I go do shows in, in, in other states and travel. And it doesn't have to be a lot of touring. But yeah, I kind of, I mean, if you're growing off where I do things in season, so like, uh, I've been touring Tommy Stewart's Direwolf from October 2nd till May 28th. Now, my idea of touring is that I'm doing like five shows at a time. I'll do like three to five shows, come home for two weeks, three to five shows, come home for two weeks. In the course of nine months, I end up doing 50, 60 shows, probably more than most bands. Wow, that's a lot. But I like to come home and take care of the label. I like uh, catch up on things I can't do on the road. I mean, I, I got my little notepad in the hotel room. There's only so much I can do with it. With my materials are actually here in hard drives. And yeah, I mean, you can load all the hard drives up and take them with you. It's like when you're on the road, you're actually in transit all the time or you're barely able to sleep. You don't really have time to. So I put everything on automatic. And then seven days later, I come back and, you know, I've got orders to fill for the label. Mm -hmm. Maybe I come home to and stuff to do for other bands and i just can't stay out for long periods right so, but i do want to go out and so some of the guys in some bands aren't able to necessarily go out as much as i can and for that reason um probably not and plus bloody gyres had there was a lot of rehearsal time involved in bloody gyres and i'm not really a let's go jam this one out find out what songs we've got i'm not that kind of a i'm more of a oh i'm gonna record something today the mics are up at the drum set. Let's walk back there and record something. Bop, 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 bop. Hey, four minutes of cool drum track. Let's go sit down and play along to it re and respond to what I just recorded over there. Pull up my bass and just start playing along with it. And I say, wow, that sounds that sounds great. I like that. Okay, that's a take. Let's see. What am I going to write about? Vocals. Let me pull up my mic. <laughs> what, what am I mad at today? <laughs> <laughs> and I just start. I do the vocal tracks at the same time as I'm writing the lyrics. A lot of times, that's awesome. Interesting process. Yeah, just uh, I don't really want to spend um, a year practicing three times a week for two to five hours at a time, and you, you spent your whole night like three times a week doing that. And I just don't. I don't see that you have to do that to to write and record. Right. I just it's, I'm, for me, it's not necessary. And that was what was I did like about Negative Wall. We did it very quickly. We got together. So the concept of the band is going to be um, sci-fi leaning. Gamma Jalou is going to be the name of the album. It's going to have the, we're going to get, use this guy to get the cover. Let's do some photos. Let me call a guy. He's going to be here in three days. So we, so the first night we already did that, had the concept for the band and had a rehearsal. Within seven rehearsals, we had written what we were going to write. It's ready to go. We came in, did the tracks. I said, see you to the guys. And on the by the 14th day, it was already sent to mastering and came back. 
<laughs> and you have uh, this this didgeridoo on that album, right? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, awesome. our, that's our drummer did that. <laughs> I know it was so odd. He goes, listen to this thing. And he's, you know, he's just doing it. I said, yeah, I love those things. He said, can we put that on there? And I said, well, I have an out. I have a song where it's kind of supposed to take place on another planet. That might add to the feeling that you're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That, that was pretty cool. They have Didgeridoo too there. <laughs> But you know, and then there's a uh, then oh, I gotta break out the theremin again. I love playing with all these weird things. I love theremin, theremin, I believe. In the, on, um, the song kept death busy on Bloody Jars Echoes of a Distant Scream. There was a theremin, and I think there was there was one on uh, Negative Wall Gamma Jilu also, but I didn't put one on Doomsday Deferred. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't remember one being there. I'd like to get that thing out again. I've been looking at it. I said in another interview, I was very close to being able to perform somewhere over the rainbow on it. I <laughs> really got, and I think I actually got through it one time perfectly. And uh, I said, oh my God, I need to record. So the next time I pull that thing out, I'm going to video some takes of it and see if I can pull off somewhere over the rainbow because I was so close. I would have been so proud of that. <laughs> Do you know the um, the Japanese band Sai? No, I'll check it out. Okay, they uh, they're like a I don't know what to call them. They're technically like black metal, but they're also not. But they have a theremin <laughs> player that's like with them all the time, and uh, they, all, all their albums are super weird and experimental, and they've got crazy instruments and stuff. And they uh, they said they did this one press release like building up to this album hype because they, they've always done like black metal. Like, oh, next album is going to be like the darkest heaviest thing ever and then they had like pre-orders go up and everything people bought it and it was power metal and they did they just randomly released a power metal album just to mess with their fans oh my god and it was really <laughs> it, it was really good though it was like psychedelic and like funky and like really really good power metal but it was just really funny because a lot of their fans got really upset about it like this is bullshit i'm sure like, they did what was <laughs> now how do you spell their name uh sigh s-i-g-h Oh, just sigh like that. Okay. okay. Yeah. They, they definitely, like, if you like weird experimental stuff, they're one of the probably the most interesting bands out there doing stuff. Very, very unique. Yeah. I usually, I'm probably going to, I don't know if I like it or not, but I, I, I like checking things like that out because when people are reaching and trying to do things a little differently, then mm-hmm. um, I'm probably going to at least enjoy going through it once. Yeah. I'm always looking for unicorns. Right. Yeah. There are those bands like, um, like a, have you heard of a Ranzi Pazuzu? No. Yeah. Okay. That, that's when everyone, like Brandon, everyone's talking about them, right? For like the last two, three years now, they, they've been yeah. up. Um, but I don't even know what to describe them as. They're like, they're like jazz black metal, um, like super weird time signatures, just free flowing jazz stuff. It's like, very. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely different. Like, I don't know, yeah, neo folk. Yeah, neo folk stuff. It's I don't know. They're all over the place. It's awesome though. Very, very weird music what, in a good way. What was their name? What was the name again? Uh, Orunzi Pazuzu. <laughs> uh, I can send it. I can send it to you in Messenger after this because it's it's easier than spelling it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I probably um, that up too. That's usually when I'm doing first thing in the morning when I'm trying to get my act together. Sometimes I'm. I'm touching base with like unusual things that I don't know what they are just to see what they are. 
right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about like with us with Cave Dweller, each of us admins has like completely different tastes. Like Brendan's our resident like stoner sludge guy. And then I'm much more into like black metal personally and old school, like 90s and 80s death metal. Um, but we each have like something we kind of, I mean, we'll kind of share stuff with each other and be like, check this out. Even if you won't like it, check it out. So yeah, I think it's good to have people with different tastes that you, you kind of share stuff with. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I enjoyed it. Um, so just, uh, we're kind of coming to the end of the time here. We've got a little bit left, but um, Brendan always has some kind of less professional, more kind of just fun stuff he likes to cover towards the end of interviews. So I'll let him Velociraptor. take the lead. What? <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, I was going to actually ask you what's the weirdest <laughs> food you've ever eaten, but that might be it. <laughs> favorite, favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, no, there was another podcast where the last thing they asked you is what was your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> oh, that's funny. And uh, I thought it was funny. If it, what's the weirdest food I've ever eaten? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm, I, I like to cook and I do like to eat some weird stuff sometimes. I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't, I can't really see that is so what well, you're asking something to think about. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably not that weird or anything. Um, I guess I can't think of anything. What about, um, if you can't think of that, what about most memorable meal you've ever had? Oh, yeah, there you go. Start me. Oh, there's no way. I can't even, there, I have so many memorable meals. Uh, <laughs> I like, there's a, <clears throat> There's a, a most memorable meal. Oh, yeah, there was a Moroccan restaurant. And I don't mean you just went in and did the food. Okay, my, my wonderful daughter, who's grown, um, she's, she's, she's a grown lady. Anyway, she, uh, for Father's Day once, she took me to a, a, an act, a real Moroccan restaurant with, for the whole Moroccan experience. Okay. The thing is, you have to be there at a certain time because everybody who's going to eat there that night comes at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you all come in and you all sit at these um, round tables that are, on, you sit on pillows on the floor. Yep. Yeah, it's the true experience. And they bring the, cool. the stuff one thing at a time. And I'm not sure what I eat sometimes. <laughs> Things wrapped in grape leaves <laughs> and just oh, things. Man. And finally, the meat comes, and right about then, uh, uh, there's there's some music that starts up, and a gal comes out in a, and belly dances her way over to you. And apparently, I had already been picked out and didn't know it. And so, Princess, uh, for lack of a better thing to call, I'm gonna say Princess Zelda or whatever she was. <laughs> she she came over and and picked me out of everybody to get up and. She, she had me like dance with her. I'm looking at my daughter going, I don't really do this. And I, so I'm standing there trying to cha-cha with her or whatever she's doing. And then she starts opening her little thing. And my daughter's yelling, you're supposed to give her money. And I went, what? I'm like the last guy to say that. So I went, well, okay. So I got out like a $5 bill and I tried to put it in her thing. And then she would, then she'd look at, she'd look at me like I was offending her. She'd kind of cock an eyebrow and frown a little bit and move away. And then she'd dance up toward me smiling again. She'd open it up. I tried to put it in. She'd go, oh, no, no, no. And she'd move away. And everybody started <laughs> laughing at me. And I was like, I was looking at my daughter go, this is really, I'm, I'm actually blushing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a memorable meal for sure. 
<laughs> I, I think I had um, I had some kind of land that night. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the uh, what, what's uh, what do you usually like? How do you unwind after like a live performance? After what? Like a live performance? Like you get off a show, you just played, and then you're like, what, what do you do to like kind of relax? Um, we're pretty. We're pretty. Uh, I'm. I think. Um, in Dire Wolf, we're probably the most boring band in history, next to what it's like to be in a hotel room with, from what I understand, Jethro Dull. Or we, <laughs> we um, first off, we got to load out all our. We got to get our equipment. Obviously. We got to load out our equipment. I usually am doing sitting at the merch table talking to people. All that we got to fold all that up. Get okay. We get it all back. We go straight to our hotel room. We don't dilly dally. We go straight to the hotel room, and when we get in there. There's 10 minutes of me pulling out the books and writing stuff down. And within minutes, within a half an hour, we are in bed. Um, we've probably had on cartoons because they're completely not serious. So we've got on Family Guy or something. <laughs> within, within 30 minutes, the TV's off and we're both dead asleep. And it's two in the morning and we're getting up at eight. So maybe even seven. So there's really no unwinding to it it's like as soon as we can get in bed we're in there nice the same thing at home when i get home i don't even (laughs) if i if i have played a show locally or or come back home that night or whatever yeah same way i just go in the house and i'm basically just pow i'm laying on the couch the tv's on and i'm out (laughs) what about like uh back in the 80s what was like a post-show oh we didn't go to bed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> up in the van on the way to the next show because there was no time to be laying in a bed what bed we stayed in campgrounds anyway <laughs> we either stayed at someone's house where they decided to throw a party because we're there so we get over to someone's house after a show and they've thrown up a keg and got pizzas it's been <laughs> all night long i know we have left people's houses and the sun was up it's the next day those confounded birds are tweeting it's morning wake up and we're like yeah. oh, we're still inebriated from i would say the night before but really the hour before <laughs> and then we're going to drive off probably illegally driving off <laughs> and uh yeah it was pretty bad in the 80s <laughs> it was pretty bad we so we'd get to the next so we drive to the next place and whoever wasn't driving basically just went to sleep and then we'd get to the next place and pull up in the parking lot and sleep there till it was some so somebody was banging on the window or something or we'd go to a campground like i said if we had especially if we had a day off yeah we'd just we'd be in the middle between cities and we would actually look for like you know camp crystal lake or you know something like that especially god we stayed in some places for three four days at a time we'd go in we just make a campfire and pull up the van and we'd just sit there and the park rangers like the the campground rangers would get to know us we go. Our Starbucks was to go up to the Ranger office and get some coffee. It's in the office. Awesome. <laughs> that was our Starbucks. <laughs> so uh, that was back in the days. Now, uh, Direwolf is way too. Uh, <laughs> we're t- we're too diva out for that. We we Hampton ends what we do. <laughs> <laughs> you did your time on the road like that. So we yeah. yeah, we are a little yeah. about our food. We're uh, so now it's sort of vegetarian fare these days and. 
So in the morning, we might not, we may or may not visit the breakfast area. We we carry the ability to make our own sprouted oatmeal in the room, and <laughs> we bring our own little wok and cook our own food and bring our stuff. That's great. Yeah, my drummer won't have anything to do with meat at all, and I barely do, especially when touring. It's pretty much like we're eating nuts and oatmeal and apples all day. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, we're not fun at all. We're just, we're boring. <laughs> yeah, it's be- probably like, you know, survive a little longer that way, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, these days, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, these days um, in our age group, yeah, we have to be careful of our stuff. I have a dietitian right now that I know what I'm eating all day and what time I'm eating it and how many carbs there are in it and everything. Nice. That's good, though. I mean, you're doing, a, doing it the responsible way, not burning out for no reason at a younger age meal then yeah. later i take a 15 minute walk and to lower my blood sugar and things like that nice. yeah when you get, if you're going to tour when you're older it's it's no problem touring uh, i think it's good for you because there's a lot of physical stuff involved and it's challenging but that means you have to take steps like anybody doing like a sort of minorly like an athlete or a, something Right, right. Not as much as an athlete, but yeah, you got to start. You got to know what you're eating. You got to, you need to stay in decent shape. Yeah. Right. You can't like go all day without eating and then like have some beers and then all of a sudden you're just like smashed because you didn't eat all day. And then I don't think like the the last tour, we were gone seven days, a couple of, I've been home for about a week and we were gone seven days. I think I drank one beer the whole seven days. It was in. It was because I got set up with the merch, and we got set up with everything early, and it was still five in the afternoon. I, I went over and said, "Yeah, I'll have one beer." They <laughs> had provided. I could drink all the free beer I wanted. I didn't want any. Right. So I did. You know, I had my food with me at a certain time. I wanted to eat a certain thing, but that's. But yeah, just, there's a lot of discipline for me. So. Okay, quick I, question. I enjoy I enjoy having things structured and routine, and I actually kind of seek that because I think when you're a musician your whole life, there's a lot of like a lot of people want to. I want to get out of this routine. I want an excitement. I actually look try to not find excitement. I've had plenty of it. <laughs> What's it like? Routine. What's it like? I love that. Yeah. So and I'm not. I'm not. I'm yeah, I like to go, there's an island I like to go to, and there's it's hardly anybody there. It's 0.8 miles long and about four blocks wide. There's nobody there, and nothing happens. And there's a few little bars, and it's beachy, and you can fish, and that's the kind of vacation I like. I like to go somewhere where nothing happens. Yeah, low key. That's what I want. That's what I want. I've had plenty of the high key. Well, there's a lot of that all the time. Right, so, you know, like when you're on the road, even if you're not partying, it's still go, 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 go. Right. Is that kind of like what helped you uh, transition into like more like doom metal and and things like that versus like you know back in the day playing kind of you know that's trashy. something everybody asked. It really is a pretty good question of how did you go from being thrash in your twenties and thirties to all of a sudden you're like this doom guy, you know, that's with a doom label and doom. And I go. I really was already there then as far as like my listening goes and, and ideas I had, but back in Hallow's Eve times, we, um, we often, uh, 
there was a little bit of gatekeeping of each other. Like that won't work mm. in this band. That's a great, I like what your riff is there, but I don't think that's going to fit this album. Um, yeah. You know, trying to keep it to that sound or style. Yeah, so we were, since it's a collective and we're a group, we're all kind of checking each other on. Of course. That, that idea you came in, well, we even laughed at each other to the point of like making each other mad sometimes. We'd say, we'd just, we'd say how's this man? And you'd, very energetically explain your thing. Here's how it goes like this, and then you start singing it. And then da, 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 da. the other two guys may bust out laughing at you and go, you've got to be kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't anything like nice about it. We, we were kind of mean to each other about it. like, are you out of your cotton picking mind? <laughs> 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 we're not doing that. What do you mean trash can? I brought trash can lids into the studio one time. Certain ones <laughs> out for their tone. And I had this whole thing that, and they just sat there with their mouth. They said, go ahead and demonstrate it. Sounded funny. And they all sitting in the control room. And I sat out there and banged them and yelled and did all this stuff. And then I, then a voice came over the speakers in the, the big room and said, Tommy, can you come to the control room for a minute? <laughs> and then I got told that was X. That I said, no, they were like, no, no way. No way. <laughs> So all that experimental stuff and those ideas and my love of things of um, more of a mid-career Pink Floyd type thing and um, King Crimson and uh, Mm. those kind of things that I grew up with. I always wanted to explore those kinds of ideas and other lyrics and things. I finally, I finally was able to do them once I got cleared of the thrash thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. like I just decided, you know what? I shall now be doomed on this date. Of, <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was a very gradual and natural thing that I, now I'm finally going to get to do these ideas I've had, some of which were actually kind of older ideas. Okay. Some of the lyrics, especially because I had written tons of lyrics that, that I could never use. I still have tons of lyrics that I haven't really found a place for. Some of them I never will. I just like what I wrote. Yeah, you know, I keep a whole book of stuff, and sometimes so when I have um, music written and even music recorded, I can pull out that book of lyrics and go, "All right, I, I'm needing something. I'm wanting this to be about this thing, but I don't know where to start." And I'll look for a phrase or a collect maybe four lines or whatever, and I go, "I, I remember writing that back in 1995. This most of it's crap, but look." This one section is exactly what I'm talking about today. Let's pull that out, change it a little bit, and add what you feel now to it, and it'll become that thing. Nice. Brendan, you got any more there? Because if you if you don't, I got one I want to ask before we wrap up. No, I think we're uh, – I'm good. I oh, darn, I forgot it. what we were talking about, the food thing, the Moroccans. <laughs> yeah oh we segued a lot but it's all right well so obviously it's moroccan or it was was it was it i think it was more of your experience because you didn't really yeah you know. the food wasn't really uh i don't know i've I'll had some weird i've had all kinds of food so i don't know i, I like snails i like uh, i've i've even I, I had some kind of lizard one time i uh we, we got into this com- we got into this conversation on one of our other podcasts and it's like spiraled out <laughs> into way too long of a conversation but i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> no but ba- basically i went on a list of all because i i backpacked through southeast asia for like six months after college type thing um, and i uh my rule was like to say no to almost nothing that i was offered to eat so i've tried a lot of animals 
Wow. Not going to too much detail. <laughs> no, I've never had any. I can imagine because Southeast Asia definitely has a whole different culture, and especially in the rural areas. I imagine you yeah. really have those things. Yeah, I, uh, I I did spend a lot of time in like the countryside as well. So I, I tried a lot of different foods. I act the, the weirdest thing I ate, and this was accidentally was cat, not not actually knowing it was cat until I finished eating it. But yeah, well, I can't <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. I hear uh, I think uh, from one understanding the uh, squirrels are kind of greasy. <laughs> squirrels, I haven't had that. <laughs> yeah, <they've> had that. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're also, like, they're, there's not a lot to them either, you know? So yeah. It's like... Yeah, I, I know in the southeast U.S. in older times, it wasn't that out of bounds to go shoot squirrels. I love squirrels. I, I, get, I actually stand outside and feed them. I'm that guy in your neighborhood standing in the yard with a bag of peanuts actually feeding the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> they run up to me. If you do it enough, they'll actually start showing up. You'll open your door at 7 in the morning. And they're standing there. Oh, that's kind of cool. It is. I became friends with one for about three years once, and he got to where he would just he would come back, sit up on the on a table next to me, and I could hand them to him and everything. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so I did have one more question I wanted to ask. Um, this is like a, this is across your entire career question, not for any particular period, but of all the band. Actually, it's a, it's a two part. So first is who was the who would you consider the biggest name band that you've played live with? I I don't know. That'd be a toss-up between uh, Slayer, Megadeth, and Motorhead, I guess. You played with all three of those? Yes. yes. That's awesome. Okay. I think I was probably most happy to be on the Bills opening for Motorhead directly. I was probably more a bigger fan of Motorhead than the other two. Okay. And then the second one was... Who was the wildest, like, uh, you know, like most rock style, lifestyle, crazy behavior type thing band that you've toured with or play, at least played with? <laughs> uh, uh, 50% of the local bands in my area that I've played with were the Okay. <laughs> I, immediately, that's who I thought of was like half the people I know in town. <laughs> I'm, I'm backstage. They, I walk back. That's why I don't even go backstage at local shows is because I walk back there and they go, oh, you want any of this? And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even go back there. And if I see people sitting in their cars in the parking lot, I don't approach the car. I know they're doing something. (laughs) So I don't know. Uh, As far as like bigger names and all, I I don't know. I think they they were all kind of. If they were if they were doing anything, they were kind of keeping. Some, I'm trying to think of anybody that was really crazy that I want to be around, mm, or I did want to be around. Let's see. I can't really think of anybody. I, most of the people we played with seemed to be pretty. They were either hiding whatever they were doing, or they were just very professional on the surface that I got to see. Okay, that's interesting. Good to know. Yeah, I, I never really saw. Any of the bigger name we opened, we played with just about everybody you ever heard of in the 80s. Yeah, I never really saw anybody doing anything crazy, and I was always surprised when I look back on it now. I got, I wish we were as professional acting as they were <laughs> because it's astonishing how adult like a lot of them were to be only 20, 21, 22 years old. 
Yeah, I think, well, that's, that kind of shows that there was sort of like that reputation, the, like the assumption, the stigma around those bands that they were all, you know, like drug addicts, alcoholics, party animals and stuff. I think that gets thrown around a lot more than is actually true. Well, right. I mean, I, I saw a bit of it, but, but I think they more kept it to themselves. In the 80s, I think cocaine was really the, the big one. Mm-hmm. And cocaine's not a share drug. It's, it's not like pot where everybody's passing around a joint. When people are doing coke, that you're not going to hear about it because they want it. They don't want to give it to you. Right. Everybody's on coke, but nobody's saying they have any when they're all standing around. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd never know they are on it. You know, and, and then I've read back, and too, I've read a lot of biographies and I read about the people I've met and whatever. And they talk about how they, they could barely put a sentence together and all this stuff. And I, that wasn't my, when I met them, they were very together and we had normal conversations. So all that was going on behind, you know, the bathroom door or whatever, you know. Right. Interesting. Okay. So before we wrap up, I just want to leave it open to you for a minute. Um, anything coming up that you want to promote that uh, you think people would want to hear about? Well, I can tell you that uh, Grave Next Doors. <clears throat> On Black Doomba Records, like Grave Next Door's uh, CD just released. It released on March 18th. Uh, we have them at Black Doomba Records on Black Doomba Records Bandcamp. Just look that up and you'll find that. Coming up, I have Minerva. Their first single was just released Friday. Their, but their album will be, um, it'll go into pre-order April 1st, which is what, next, this upcoming Friday. So um, <clears throat> April 1st, that. They go on pre-order for their CD. And then about a month later, I have Holy Roller. It'll be their CD and digital. The reason it's all CDs, bam, 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 like that, and no vinyl is there is going to be vinyl. But because of the delays lately in manufacturing and vinyl, I decided to split it up. That was a challenge. But instead of waiting for it, I put the orders in for vinyl and CD at the same time. But it's going to take about nine months to a year to get the vinyl. So I decided to go ahead and put the bands out as CD and digital. And then basically what the boils down to is six months later, then we have another release. There'll be another single video vinyl. That'll be the vinyl release. And in a way this benefits the bands because it's, and the, and the, and the fans of those bands, the audience, because they'll get to feel like there's always something coming from that band longer than if they just had one big release. Mm -hmm. There's more of a journey to join them with. Yeah, great perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's make it one big six-month, nine-month journey. And then about that time, maybe they're moving on to their next thing. I don't know, but uh, that's up to the band. But, yeah, so like, so today, for instance, I announced that I got the Holy Roller test pressings in for vinyl. And I explained it on on very briefly on TikTok, Instagram, and everything that this is the vinyl. Now, it's not coming out for a while. It'll be here probably in, I don't know, November, December. It's going to be a while. Because the manufacturer, but their CD is going to be released on July 8th. Pre-orders will start happening in May, I think 28th. But they're coming. They're coming. Right now, Minerva's what's basically on deck at Black Doomba as far as upcoming. Um, Grave Next Door has some future shows coming. Whole Rollers got some shows coming. There's a couple of bands I've got my eye on. There's something else coming from Grave Huffer, but we're not ready to talk about it yet. They're actually recording uh, some vocals and mixing some guitars today, Grave Huffer is, for the next release. There is going to be a next release. I am going to get to put it out. Awesome. 
That's great. I know. I'm, I'm so glad I get to because they're awesome. I love working with them. And so they're awesome. Well, you can count on us uh, covering that album and doing some promotion for you because we're big fans of Grave Huffer and the guys. Yeah. It's going to be a, it's an unusual album. I've actually only heard half of it when we played in Joplin, Missouri. My Tommy Stewart Starwolf did on a bill with them. That's their home base. So I was I got to go to the studio and hear half the album. Oh, nice. I can tell you that it's it would be typical of me, if you know my music and what I like, to put something out like this because this is they're they're known for this is why I signed them or is because they're they're known for including other elements of metal. Yes. They're not just death metal, they're not just thrash metal, they're not they even threw in a little disco on Necro. Yeah. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they even had horns on a couple of songs. Mm-hmm. Well, the next album is taking all that uh, uh, further. Okay. That's so exciting. they're getting a little further out there. I don't think I should talk about it much more, but God, I want to. I heard it. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe what they're putting out. And they said, do you think people like it? I said, you're getting in my territory. They're either going to not like it or they're, there's going to be a lot of people who absolutely actively do not like this. And there's going to be other yeah. people who think you're, that it's fantastic. You're going to get yeah. <laughs> the, that's Just what change the band name and do something. Like, what's going on? Yeah, let's change the band. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens to my albums. People either really like what I'm doing in Dire Wolf or they really kind of don't. It's not for everybody. And I know do that. You, going into it, I know it's not for everybody. Do you yeah. follow uh, an artist called The Mountain King? No. Um, oh, you, you, I think, right, Brendan? He really liked them, probably. Yeah. They um, have like a comic. They have like they write, like, sing songs about kaiju's and. Oh my god! They uh every single album they do is completely different, and they just span different genres and they do whatever they want. But they're all concepts, and each one's like wrapped in itself. Oh, like totally. I, I got to, I got to follow up on this. If I haven't already followed, it. you know, a lot of times I'll go look people up and find out I've already liked it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's happened. Sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you uh, a link to their Bandcamp after this. Um, but, but uh yeah the you know, last album drummer, what's that sorry my drummer dennis reed's entire uh-huh. body covered with kaiju and godzilla characters really it yeah it's his tattooed it, it, his whole body is tattooed that way that's awesome yeah martha is one whole arm thing and <laughs> yeah yeah if you ever look at him closely if you ever meet him you would if you look at his arms and stuff closely you'll go oh my god you're you're all that <laughs> wow i have wow. to look him up on, on the online yeah. look he likes to build the models and he he goes and competes sometimes with his models oh awesome. yeah that's he's awesome them, and he's met everybody he met like the original he's got pictures of himself standing with the dude that uh who's the actor who was in the original godzilla that was the scientist who just passed away the actor oh um, um just passed away but anyway yeah he's got a picture of himself with that guy i have a picture of myself with uh godzilla 2000 that godzilla (laughs) that's sweet who was also he was in the 2000 millennium series he also played uh king Ghidorah and godzilla in the same movie (laughs) and uh and he was also check this out i did not know this when i met him until after he I actually bumped into him in the lunch area in the hotel. And got to sit and have lunch with the guy and his wife. 
he didn't speak much English, but she did. That's and, cool. Uh, I, that's when I found out he was also a Power Ranger. Really? <laughs> I was like, I'm almost as impressed with that. I wasn't really a Power Ranger fan, but the I know a lot of people were, and I'm almost like, well, you're here doing the Godzilla thing, but that's pretty impressive too. That is cool. <laughs> I love Just Power Rangers. I didn't get him in there. He was there as his friend, but the guy who played the original Ultraman, in my picture with the Godzilla dude, three feet off camera is Ultraman. He was there too. I had lunch with both of them. That's crazy. I didn't get my picture with the Ultraman dude. I was, now I kind of look back and go, man, I, I should have done that. And that was like unplanned? That just kind of happened? Well, no, I was at a thing called Days of the Dead here in Atlanta. Okay. And, they were, and, and Godzilla was there to do, uh, you know, sign autographs and whatever. But yeah, later I met, I was just up getting a sandwich in the in the hotel, in the, in the lunch area or whatever. And there they sat and they... I was sat at a table next to them, and then uh, they looked at me and pat the table. And his wife said, "He says, come, come have lunch with us.'" And I got to sit with them and not understand anything they said except where what his wife translated. <laughs> but it was it was awesome. I had lunch with Ultraman and Godzilla. <laughs> That's very cool. Life, what a crazy life! Oh. And then walked in, and then PJ Souls walked in and got a sandwich too, but she didn't sit with us. And I'm like, what planet am I on? <laughs> Riff Randall's here. That's very cool. <laughs> I know. It was, well, it was one of those things where people are there to get autographs. So, it, right. Know, like that happens. But it was, it was very surrealistic that we were the only people in this little sandwich shop. Don't mind me. I'm just sitting with Ultraman and PJ Souls is asking if anybody's got any change for a 20. <laughs> it's a weird world. <laughs> okay. Um, not to force things to end, but we are pretty much out of time with the podcast. So I just wanted Absolutely. to say massive thank you to you for coming on. It was amazing getting to chat to you and uh, we really appreciate you giving us your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely be covering everything that you got coming out in the next uh, few months. So if anyone's looking for any new music, check our site, and we'll probably have some reviews up for some Black Dumba releases. And I uh, just want to say thanks, everyone, for listening, and tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>